You've survived the worst. Trauma, loss, rejection. The reality is, your pain can be a crutch, or it can be the thing that launches you. You're listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you experience true freedom and breakthrough. Tune in each week as guests share their incredible life lessons from their personal stories and hear from experts who can give you the tools you need to stop surviving and start thriving. Here to help you find purpose through your pain is your host, Joseph James. Hey everyone and welcome to another great episode of Purpose Through Pain podcast. I have an amazing guest here today, Heather Knight. Heather is currently serving as the founder and chair of Surviving to Thriving, an Atlanta-based nonprofit that provides a long-term sustainability program for victims of domestic violence. This all started based off a personal situation in her teen years and then her going into law enforcement as a career. She recently left a police department and found, when founding Surviving to Thriving in order to dedicate more time to her podcast. She's also been a headlining program of women's self-defense and currently working on her master's degree in intelligence studies with uh, Department of Homeland Security Heather, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm privileged and honored that you're here today. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. So we, uh, so give a little backstory on Heather and I, I actually met her and her significant other uh, in Costa Rica of all places. So we just, we all connected. Our, uh, um, Zach is doing amazing things with what he does. And of course, just hearing about Heather's story a little bit about her story and then what she's doing to help other women um, get to that place of being the victim, get to that place of, you know, no longer suffering and going from that surviving, which we're all, we're all in some point in place in time in our whole entire life or throughout our life, we're in a survival mentality, you know, and you finally get to that point. It's just like, I'm tired of surviving and I want to thrive. And so, Heather, let's go back. Let's rewind some years to your own experiences and why you started all this. Yeah, so it was kind of interesting because I didn't realize that I wanted to start this because of what I went through. Honestly, all started um, through Zach uh, and his first business that we started, which was a security company. And we wanted to go and or we went to thrive in vegas and at thrive they told us you know you need to have a purpose behind your business or nobody's going to want to do business with you you have to have a reason why you're doing what you're doing and we kind of took that to not just what is your why what is you know what's your driving force but to actually then implement a part of our business that is dedicated to that um it's kind of like tom's shoes where you buy a shoe you give a shoe and so we decided that we wanted to do a purpose part of our security business and automatically both of us were just like domestic violence and then you sit there and you're like okay why is this so important to us and um you know for zach it was really easy his biological father was um, abusive wasn't in the picture past like him being like two years old maybe and so that was just hearing his mom's story is kind of what fueled him fueled him to be a police officer and then I look back at it and I'm just kind of like well I don't really think about being in a domestic violence relationship ever uh, my parents got divorced when I was 10 but they were never 
abusive to each other, um, at least not in front of us that I could remember. You know, I don't know if there were, if there was emotional or mental abuse that went on, but we never saw it as kids. So I, I would like to think that it was never there. But then I look back and I'm like, uh, as I went through this journey and I went through, you know, learning really about what is domestic violence, not just go and take the report from somebody who calls 911, I realized that I was in a very abusive relationship in high school. And honestly, it went both ways. And I learned a lot about how teens are kind of just shoved into these relationships by their own doing, but also kind of like a rebellious stage from their parents, right? They were told, you know, as teenagers, they're told you're, you're too young to be in love. You, you can't be in a relationship. You, you can't do this. So then you go and get in relationships anyways, because you're 14, 15 years old, hormones are going crazy. You're figuring yourself out. You're, you're learning how to love, how to, you know, interact with another human being, but you're not taught how to do it and what's healthy and what's not healthy. And so there was just a lot of mental and emotional abuse back and forth. And I didn't realize it at the time, of course, but then looking back and learning about all of this, you know, the, the, all of the manipulation, I guess, of, you know, when you're about to break up and you're like, well, if you do, if you break up with me, then I'm going to go do this. And it went back and forth, you know, that, and all of that. And then you learn, like, you can't do that. You can't treat somebody like that, but teens are never taught that that's okay. So realizing that that was a huge part of why I immediately went to domestic violence, because it's always been there. It's always been in the back of my head that, okay, that that really wasn't a healthy relationship. Um, But then when I was 16 years old, I was hanging out with a group of friends and we were just, it was after school, sitting in the basement, you know, parents were never home um, during those times. It was definitely not COVID where <laughs> you have adult supervision all the time. Yeah. And um, and so we're just sitting there hanging out. And one of the guys um, puts a gun to my head and he said, we're going upstairs. So I went upstairs. He forced me to uh, do oral sex on him. And his mom actually came home and he, he shoved me in a closet. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is where I'm... I'm leaving. I'm not, I can't do this, you know? And his mom left. I don't know why she came home for just that short period of time. His mom left and I was, I was not able to leave then. Uh, he forced me to continue the act and, and then I left and that stuck with me forever. It still sticks with me. It's still there. Yeah. I've worked through it. I've been in therapy, but obviously like that is a huge thing. And then the, the kicker of all of that was about three months later, one of my friends who was there, was like, oh, well, the gun was never loaded. And I was like, oh, because that makes it okay. Right. That right. makes it better. Thank you for that. Um, and so just, and that's kind of where we then implemented the whole women's self-defense and uh, the sexual assault and the uh, sexual abuse side of things because they really go hand in hand with domestic violence. Yeah, yeah. Now, let me ask you this. When it, of course, at the time, you didn't realize what you were in. You know, you you didn't, we didn't label it as, you know, even me growing up in an abusive family, I still never even, until you're, I'm hearing you say domestic violence, I'm like, well, I grew up in that, but I never even used the term. I always did, I grew up in an abusive family because I've always looked at domestic violence, you know, as a wife and a husband Um, because in law enforcement, we've all been there is, what do you get calls for? Domestic violence. Who is it normally always with? 
a husband and a wife or a boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, opposite sex for the most part. You, you know, now you're seeing a little bit more of the same sex and things like that for, for partners. But at what point did you find yourself starting to realize I'm in domestic violence? I, I'm in the middle of it. Was this later on in life? Was this in the midst of it? I mean, you knew that that, was, that occurrence was wrong. You knew that that occurrence wasn't right. But to know that, hey, I'm smack dab in the middle of it. When does that normally happen for people? I would say that a lot of teenagers cannot wrap their head. Like I knew it was a very unhealthy relationship, but I was also contributing to the unhealthiness of it. Right. So I was very manipulative in that sense, because I thought that that's how you kept somebody around. Right. If, you know, if you want to keep them around, you tell them, you know, you just, you do these things. So I never really thought that this is domestic violence. Right that term was never, never crossed my mind. Abusive really never even crossed my mind. And even during the relate, it wasn't until I was probably like 18 moving, you know, going off to college where I was like, okay, this needs to end. This need, like, this is not healthy. I am not happy. I am not, you know, living my best life. And so the nice thing about moving 1500 miles away for college is that you can kind of just dump everything, friends, family, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. <laughs> and restart. Um, so I don't think it was really until the last few months of that relationship that I really understood how bad it was, but then it really wasn't until going through and learning, a, you know, in policing and then later on, like developing all the programs for the nonprofit that I really truly understood how bad that relationship was, but then also that it really wasn't avoidable. And you see this day in and day out throughout high schools. You see these horrible relationships that everybody thinks is normal because we don't teach our teenagers how to be in healthy relationships. Yeah. It just doesn't happen yeah. because everybody tells them they're too young for love. Well, guess what? They're going to be in relationships. So you should probably tell them how to do it correctly. Not, I mean, yeah. there's no correct way, but the, you know, the healthy way. So I, I would say that I knew it was not right when I was in it, but I didn't truly understand what I was in until later on in life. Gotcha. And I don't know if that's different for, because I was a teenager and in that relationship, or if it would have been different if I was an adult and in a relationship. Well, you know, the thing about it, and I'm, I'm sure you know this by coaching some of the, the, the people that you have, the women and stuff like that through the nonprofit is, you know, one thing that I, I recently talked to somebody, they were in an abusive marriage. And, you know, I mean, it was fist fighting at times or he was really hitting her. I mean, bloody things like that. And I'm like, I, the, the first question in my mind is like, how do you not, how can you stay in that? And her response was, and it was, this wasn't a judgmental comment by me. I'm just kind of thinking like, I'm trying, I'm trying to wrap my analytical left brain around how can you stay in the aspect of somebody hitting you? And her response to me was, is that's what I thought a relationship was because she had never been shown. Now this is an adult yeah. because her, you know, her mom and dad at the time, her mom left at a, at a younger age, you know, there was arguing and fighting and things like that. And so she never really got to see, she got the verbal abuse from her dad, you know, and, but she never really got to see what a true relationship is. And I was in, you know, abusive home long enough to realize I didn't like it. And I started to become a very angry individual. I started to become very violent and had a very short temper. 
And for me, it was just like one day saying, I don't want to be like my dad, you know, and everything just kind of broke off of me, you know, and I never, not that I don't get angry at times, but not to the point of wanting to hit anybody. And I had never hit anybody. Um, I would punch a wall in a heartbeat, <laughs> you know, but um, eventually it's going to stem into something. But for me, it was the model, the anger that was inside of me and the hatred and, and wanting to, was the model in which I saw from my dad, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's crazy to, to see and understand coming from not a relationship with, a, with you know, uh, another woman because I was married for almost 14 years before my wife passed. There was nothing ever like not even grabbing each other in a rough way or doing any type of physical. And I thank God for that, you know, but talking to different people is, I'm like, how can you stay that long? And they're like, well, this is what I thought. This is what I thought was normal. And then like what you said, the manipulation of, well, if I get out of this, am I going to be able to survive? Am I going to be able to, or am I going to be able to thrive? Because we don't want to survive, you know? But am I going to be able to make it on my own? Am I going to be able to deal without this person? Because, you know, the manipulation side of things, and I've heard enough of it, is men will say things like, well, you'll never make it without me. Or how are you going to pay your bills? The only way you're paying your bills now is because of my paychecks, you know? And the manipulation to stay in a relationship knowing that it's toxic, it's abusive, it's emotionally, physically, spiritually for some people, uh, very abusive. So now I was looking at your site and you have some statistics up there about, you know, the amount of people that go through things. I think, I think seven people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner. That's a lot of people. Yeah. That is a lot of people. How did you get to the point that when you, when you realized it at that 18 years of age and you're like, I got to move, I got to get out, I got to move away from college. Now, of course you were out of the relationship in terms of physical, the physical abuse, but you still had everything going on in your head, in your mind, the battle, the hell that you had already walked through that now you have to ultimately deal with, even though you're out of the situation. It's like you burn your hand in a fire. Well, you can take your hand out of the fire, but guess what you're still dealing with? All the pain, you know? Yeah. How did you, before we get into, you know, helping people that recognize they're in a situation that they're not out of, once you were out of it for you, how did you start coping with that? How did you start healing? What did you do that you can share with the listeners on helping them heal themselves? Yeah, so I honestly, I was 18. I didn't, I didn't, you know, at that point, I just kind of shoved it down and buried it and went on to college and wanted to just wipe the, the, the slate clean. I, I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to have to be there, you know, and at, at 18 dealing with that. So I was like, I, I moved away. I'm no longer there. And I do, I, I want to go back and say that he now is one of the most gracious people on the planet. He's really nice, really intelligent, all of this stuff. It was just the fact that we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Right. But I would say that I've grown, I've moved, you know, I've, I've re I, I've reevaluated all of that. I've done the work now, but at 18, I just wanted to be done with it. I didn't want to deal with it. I, I moved on and it wasn't until probably close to 2016. So five years later that I really started dealing with it. 
And I had to just, uh, when we wanted to start this nonprofit and I had to kind of look and see why did I want to do this? What was my driving force? And then saying, okay, this is my driving force, but I haven't even dealt with it yet. So let me be okay with myself, fix myself before I can help anybody else. So it was just kind of this realization moment of you need to deal with this or you're not going to be able to help people in the way that you want to help them. And so um, Zach was a huge part in that healing. Uh, I could not talk about um, my sexual, like the relationship kind of made it very easy. Like it was kind of not easy to talk about, but it, it was a lot easier to talk about than the sexual assault. I, you know, I could not talk about that incident without just breaking down for years. And it was kind of like the, not is it immersion therapy where you just say it over and over and over like you just keep talking um about it and so that's kind of what i did is i just kept telling that story until i was like okay this happened there's nothing that i can do to go back and change what happened all i can do is move forward and work through that and that's kind of like the realization that i had and it's kind of how i've lived my life in general so it was it it's hard to say you know exactly how to get through trauma. It's really hard to say, you know, what works for everyone else because I grew up with that mindset of not really having any regrets and things happen in life, mistakes are made, but it makes you who you are at the end of the day. And so you can't live with all of these regrets. You just have to embrace what happened and then find the ways to cope with it. And whatever ways of coping work for you is what's going to work for you. I enjoy working out. I enjoy going for walks. People, some people don't like to work out. So that's not going to be a healthy coping, coping mechanism for you, right? It's just, it's just something that you have to do so that you're not 600 pounds. I don't like journaling. Some people really like journaling and that's really helpful for them. I think that the easiest way to find a coping mechanism is to just try everything until you find what you really like and also get a therapist. I think people truly underestimate therapy and they you know have this it has bad connotations around it kind of nobody uh, it's taboo that's the word i was looking for it's very taboo and people don't want to like admit that they're in therapy but it's okay every like i have not met a single person that's not in therapy (laughs) you know like it's a thing today like everybody has a therapist so that would be my first couple of things is get a therapist and find those coping mechanisms. Find when you start to like feel that panic, feel that overwhelming sensation of, I can't do this anymore. I can't figure out how to deal with this. And then you can go, okay, well, let me go for a walk. Let me start journaling. Whatever that thing is that calms you down. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when it comes to, and you're right about therapy. I mean, I just went through some, um, really good therapy in Colorado called RIM, R-I-M. It's regenerating images and memory. And it's something that Xander Fryer had told me about and absolutely just changed so much. I was able to go through so much healing from my childhood to my wife passing to things that I'm currently dealing with now in four days. In four days, I'm like, I've gotten more in that than I have in any other type of therapy or motivational speeches or, you know, talking to people than, than I have in 40 years of my life or 43 years of my life, you know, 
therapy is definitely something that can't be looked at as a negative connotation, you know, or it being taboo. People are out there to help, you know, and, you know, when it comes to whether it's domestic violence, whether it is like something that you went through or even the, the domestic violence that I went through, the, the death of my father, the death of my wife, the death of my mom, things like that is we have a tendency to believe that we are the only ones going through that. And that ultimately makes us live in a victim mentality in a victimized world that nobody else understands us. And the thing is, is, and, and I want the listeners to understand is seven people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner, seven people per minute. So that's people that are repeatedly going through it. That's new people that are going through it. That's people that haven't gone through it in a while and it's now starting back all over. You're not alone. You're not alone out there in what you're going through and any type of pain. And we, you know, Heather, she's a coach. You know, not only that, she has the podcast, the, the nonprofit of surviving to thriving is don't be afraid to reach out to people like us for help. Okay. There's crisis lines, there's therapy. You're not alone. You're not a victim. You're learning how you have been victimized and there's a difference. Okay. We have all been victimized, but living in the state that this only happens to you and your whole life revolves around it, that makes you a victim, you know, and, and I'm not downplaying a, the word victim or the aspect of being a victim at all. It's a very, it's, it's a real thing, but you don't have to live your whole life being a victim of your own demise or your circumstances. You know, Heather, how are with a nonprofit, how are you helping people go from that place of I'm a victim? I've been, I've been in the abusive relationships. I'm still in the abusive relationships. How are you helping them get to that mentality of surviving to now a place of thriving? So our biggest program right now is our self-defense program. And it is not, it's a, it's a 12 hour program, but it's not just learning hand-to-hand combat, right? It's not just learning ways to escape these situations because there's another statistic on the website that is one in four women um, are sexually assaulted. That, that's just how it is. Uh, and it's every uh, one in three will be assaulted before the age of 18. Wow. And so again, you have that you're not alone mentality, but in our program, six hours of the pro, or sorry, four hours of the program is mindset shift, yeah. is learning that you're not alone and that you can make those changes mentally, physically, emotionally in four hours, right? You may not be able to fully do it, but you're going to have these tools. You're going to be able to go home and say, okay, I know, I know where to check for vulnerabilities in my house. Now I'm, now I'm safe in my home, which now makes me not a victim in my home. I know now when I go out for a run or a jog, or I'm out with friends or I'm out shopping, these are the things that I can do so that I'm safe. And just learning those things and realizing that you can make yourself safe creates this mind sh- mindset shift that is just indescribable to watch. I, I, you know, I do these classes and I watch these women come in and they just sit there and they're just like, they won't talk to anybody. They're like writing their names on their papers and they're just kind of meek and timid. 
And even before we even get to the the physical aspect of it, of learning these moves on how to get out of situations, you know, there's discussion, there's um, vulnerability, there's people opening up and all of a sudden everybody is just kind of coming together. So that's one of the biggest things that we're, we're doing is showing these women that they're not alone and that you don't like, just because you're a woman, you're not going to be safe. You can protect yourself. You can be the person that saves your life. And that is just one of the biggest things that I think is that mindset shift is getting in a room with other people that may or may not have been through the same thing as you, but it was close or they're supporting you going through it. Right. And that's been the biggest program that we have so far. On top of that, we will do um, lifestyle learning courses. So if you are in the midst of a domestic violence relationship, but you have realized that you want to get out, um, then we have our programs of finances, uh, job searching, uh, resume building, um, trades, uh, GED courses, anything that can help you better yourself to get out of that situation. We have a class for it. But one of the things that I've learned throughout this process is that, and it's funny because Zach's business model used to be, I help people that can't or won't help themselves. And it's changed to, I help people that can't help themselves because if you won't help yourself, there's nothing I can do for you. If you refuse to get out, like want, if you don't want to get out of that victim mentality, if you don't want to get out of that relationship, there's nothing, nothing that anybody can do for you until you have that realization. And it's not going to, you know, and it's not something that you can force on somebody. You can talk to them, right? Repeatedly saying things may help them get out of that victim mentality. If you don't want to change, you're not going to change and you can't help those people until they're ready to be helped. Um, And so that's been the biggest thing for me to learn is that you can't help everybody because there's some people that don't want help. The women's self-defense course has been one of the, the biggest mindset changes that that I've seen in women. Yeah. Why do you feel that people don't want to change? Safety, right? Fear of the unknown. As even though they're not inherently safe, they know what they're in, right? They know that if they say this, that it'll turn physical. They know that if they say this, something will happen. So they've learned not to say those things, not to do those things, but it's the known, right? This is the life they know. And this is the life that is comfortable, right? It's not, and and comfortable is a a word that doesn't really mean what it means, right? It's, you're not, obviously, if you're in, you're you're being physically abused, it's not a comfortable situation, but they don't know the unknown. The fear of the unknown is uh, an, an immense fear to a lot of women. And one of my biggest things is, you don't know if you don't like the unknown. So if you don't like what you're in and there's a possibility that you're going to love what you don't know, what's the risk? Because all of a sudden, like, otherwise you just don't like it again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's the risk of, of leaving right in that sense? Absolutely. And you know, and this is where the power of visualization comes in at, you know, our brain doesn't know the difference between visualizing us doing something and then actual, the act of actually doing it. Okay. That's why if for athletes, they do a lot of visualization, visualization of hitting the home run, um, you know, the visualization of, you know, law enforcement visualization and the planning of, you know, breaking down the door, SWAT teams going in the visualization, the brain doesn't know the difference. And so 
whether it's good or bad, the visualization of the fear of the unknown can lead to this, 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 and this, which is also kind of gives me that same feeling of the fear of the known, you know, our brain doesn't know the difference because our brain is ultimately there to protect us. So when we go through, well, if I leave this person, all these things can happen because we're playing and we're creating that story in our mind versus saying, you know what, I'm going to get out of this situation and I'm going to go live this way and live this way and live this way and live this way, visualizing what you really truly want. I want a relationship that feeds like this and I want to live in this kind of home and I want to live in this kind of environment. I want to have this kind of job. I want to thrive and not survive. When we begin to visualize that and believe it that we can have it ourselves, even in the midst of not having it, okay? Because isn't that what faith is? Faith is the hope of seeing things that we, we can't see. If we saw it with our own eyes, we'd talk ourselves out of the situation. But it's truly believing something that we can have something without physically seeing it. And so if we get to a point of visualization of, I can see myself as this, I mean, business owners do it. People that, people that aren't in violent situations that haven't, you know, are in a current trauma situation or dealing with pain, they're visualizing, you know, for me is, is, Hey, my business to grow to a certain amount of figures per year. Okay. I, I have to visualize it. My brain doesn't know the difference between me having it and not having it, you know? And so for the listeners out there, I just want to encourage you guys that if you're in a situation, whether you're in a current situation now, or you're getting out of one or just got out of one, begin to be specific about your visualization. Don't just say, well, I want out of this situation. Okay. Visualize who you want to be with in terms of, I want somebody that's going to treat me as a queen, or I want a woman that's going to treat me as a queen or a king. I'm sorry. Um, I want, you know, this for my children. Begin to visualize those things until you can see yourself walking in it because it's that visualization. It's the power of that visualization. Be like, I don't want what I have anymore because I know I can go out and get this, you know, or that you, you deserve it. Not even the fact of, because here's the thing. I mean, I was listening to some business stuff the other day. Most people that go out and get stuff, that go out and achieve things, I mean, they're just as scared as anybody else. They they have the unknown as well. It's just the fact that I'm like, well, what's the worst that can happen? The word no? If I don't ask, it's no. If I do ask, it's no. Okay, well, ask until you get a yes. Yeah. You know, do it until you get the results that you want. Living in a... I had no choice. Yeah, I could have ran away as a kid, but where am I going to go? <laughs> you know, I'm going to end up in a foster home somewhere. I mean, I didn't know what I could do. So I had no choice. My mom chose to stay. And of course, there was regrets with that. But if you can get out of your situation, if you're an adult, you're not under the rule of somebody else in terms of I have to be here like like a child would have to, you know, not saying that they can't go and report it, but you have the ability to be able to go to get out. You have that. And that's what programs like what you're doing, Heather, is it's ultimately empowering women to know and understand that they can go out and get a job. They can go out and, and live on their own. You know, um, there's programs out there. You, you know, y'all are one of them. So what is, you know, what, what do you see as a, as a, one of the biggest challenges for you guys in terms of helping people? I understand you said about you know, Zach saying, you know, or changing his, his business, you know, uh, mission to 
the people that won't. But what also do you see this as a as a as a challenge coming from your situation? You know, the people that that need the help. Where do you see a challenge at with people wanting or not wanting or not knowing? Or what's a challenge for you guys in helping people? I'd say the biggest challenge for me is I'm a very blunt person and I'm a very kind of like, this is the situation you're in. This is where you want to be. So either put in the work or don't. And I have had to learn that not everybody wrote, um, likes that or responds to that. (laughs) So I, you know, it's very, it's been a, a huge, because as a police officer, you are, you are there to solve a problem and that problem needs to be solved within 30 minutes because you got to get onto the next call. And so it's very much like that mentality of here's the problem. Here's the solution, fix it or don't fix it. I got to go, you know, (laughs) and that getting out of that mentality of, okay, we're no longer just taking reports. These are people's lives. These are people have emotions, which obviously, you know, as a police officer, people have emotions, but at that same time, like you have a job to do and you have to keep people safe. And that's your one and only job is to protect people. Right. And so you can't lollygag around the, the issues because that makes it so that people aren't safe. But when you can, you know, get that person in that vulnerable position where it is a safe environment, it is, you know, they have all the time in the world to get out of that mindset of just like, okay, listen, give some suggestions and return to it in a week or two and see if they've made, you know, those one or two changes in, in their daily habits. And if they haven't figure out why, what's stopping them? Um, you know, what are those limiting beliefs that they have and how can we conquer them? Um, so that's been the biggest challenge for me is to get out of that fix your own problem kind of mentality. Like we're all adults here, fix yourself. Um, because it's, it's, that's not reality. It, it, it was my reality for a long time, but it's not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I'm sure you can relate to that. Oh yeah. Oh, (laughs) believe me. It's, I didn't realize that trying to fix because of me growing up in that situation, I would fix it by changing the atmosphere. We grew up in a faith-based home. So we would put on some, you know, some worship music or things like that, that would kind of calm the environment. Right. And so ultimately for me, when I would be in certain situations, I would always try to fix it. I would always try to be the, the, the peacekeeper, the peacemaker, so to say, you know, and I didn't realize that, that when even in my marriage, and then as I started venturing into relationships, if anything would happen between me and the person, you know, an argument, I'm like, okay, let, you know, I apologize. I'd be the first one to apologize. I don't want to go to bed, you know, angry. I'm trying to fix the situation, right? Well, of course, you know, uh, my wife at the time, you know, she's Hispanic. She, you know, she's ready to throw me out the house, you know? So it'd be two days before she talks to me. But ultimately what I was doing, and I didn't realize this until lately. <laughs> like, I'm going like, to bed angry. Oh, oh yeah. She's like, I'm going to bed angry. You can sleep on a couch. You know, and I'm like, I refuse to sleep on a couch. I'm like, I have a bed, you know, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to touch me if you don't want to, but I'm sleeping in my bed, you know, but yeah. I still hated the fact of going to bed mad at each other. So I'm always like, I apologize. You know, I was always the quick one to apologize, whether I was at fault or not, because ultimately I was trying to fix the situation, Right which all has to do with control. And I'm like, when I realized that had to do with control, which was not but like the last couple of months of my life is it was a game changer for me. I'm like, well, number one, I can't fix anybody anyways. 
point blank. We can try to inspire, we can try to motivate, we can give advice, we can try to steer them in the right direction, but we can't fix anybody. You know, we really can't. We can try to change ourselves. you know, but ultimately when I learned it was about control, I'm like, hmm, I didn't know that. <laughs> but now that I know that, I don't need to be in control. I have to stop being in control because it just became, it made matters worse, you know? And like you said is if people don't want to get healed, if they don't want to get out of their situation, if they don't want, you're not going to help them. They have to have that desire. They may not, they may not know how, and that's okay. It's okay to not know how, but it's not okay to not want to do something about it, you know? And exactly. Which is, the if you can't help yourself that's the difference right because you yeah. don't know how you don't know where to start all that if you can't do it that's the di- that's a huge difference between you don't want to do it right absolutely because i mean lord knows i there's been plenty of things in my life i didn't know how to do it <laughs> you know and i you know not that i was ever against therapy but i'm like i'm a strong-willed individual i can fight the demons on myself and and I, I feel like over the last two and a half years of my life, since my wife passed away, wife and dad at the same time, you know, I'm like, I feel like I've done pretty good, you know, but then as I started to move forward in life and bringing people in my life and relationships, I'm like, oh my God, all I was really good at doing was squashing things and not actually dealing with the root cause, you know, and I understand that sometimes squashing things is a surviving thing, you know, so you can get to the point of thriving kind of like the whole fake it till you make it right well we fake it so we can make it and then the fake it just becomes well I never really dealt with it and a lot of times it's not Heather it's not I don't want to deal with it you just learn to cope with not having to deal with it yeah you know until all of a sudden now you're in a position like I've got to either deal with it or I won't ever thrive you know and that's where it came to me in my situation is like okay I find myself in a new relationship and I'm like I'm dealing with a rejection that stemmed all the way back to me being a child from with, with my dad. And I'm like, yeah. if I want to move on in life, I can't go from relationship to relationship to relationship, you know, or even the dating aspect if I don't take care of this situation, if I don't take care of this aspect of my life, you know, and then, you know, how to deal with somebody else that wants to be in control too. I'm like, stop fixing me. I don't need to be fixed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, coming from that mentality of, I now have to address these things. I can't suppress them anymore. And so for me, it's just like, okay, I did great at learning how to move on, but I didn't do great at learning how to heal while moving on. Yes. You know, they say, you know, that you've heard the phrase time heals all wounds. Well, it all depends on what you do during that time because a wound covered is not always going to heal. A wound has to have oxygen to be able to heal. It has to have certain medicines to be able to heal. You know, so what do you have to do to allow a wound to heal? You have to to remove the bandage. You have to address what's right there. But also in the midst of a wound, if a wound isn't properly cleaned to begin with, then infection can set in. And if infection sets in on a wound or, or there's debridement inside that wound, what does a doctor have to do? They have to go in there and scrub it. They have to clean it out. And that's where everything gets brushed and everything gets cleaned and everything gets retore open again and all that different stuff. And so wounds covered up don't heal the right way. You'll still have scar tissue. You still have a story. You still have visualization of certain things. You know, somebody telling you that, oh, the gun wasn't loaded. That didn't solve the problem. 
Right. You know, temporarily yeah. what it did is it masked the problem like, well, thank God I wasn't going to die. But yeah. that doesn't solve the problem that you had to perform certain things or that you were made to do things or you were coerced into it. Or now the fact of like, oh my God, I'm like, I was made to do something beyond my own free will. That, let's not even talk about the fact that you could be scared of weapons now, you know, and yeah. coming from training people in firearms and women in self-defense and dealing with this also years ago, I remember somebody telling me, he's like, I'm scared to death of guns. And I'm like, why? And they're like, because when I was abused, I was shot at. I'm like, okay. But if the person had a pickaxe handle or a shovel, you would be afraid of a shovel. So it's not the fact that you're afraid of a gun or a shovel. It's the fact that you didn't know how to defend yourself in that situation. That's the root. Is that you didn't, because it wouldn't matter the tool in which they were using, you know? And so it's, it's getting to that mentality of, it doesn't matter. It's okay to know that you don't know how to help yourself. It's completely okay to be in that situation, but it's not okay to continue to live believing that you don't want it. You have to get to the point of saying, you know what? I haven't figured this out on my own anymore. What I'm doing is not working because I see a lot of that. And I know that you have, well, I've been through therapy for so long and it's not working. Okay. Well, what you're doing may not be working, but it doesn't mean that therapy doesn't work. Yeah. It's just maybe you're you not truly, applying it. Right. Are you truly doing what your therapist is telling you to do? Yeah. <laughs> or do you just show up to the weekly meetings and vent for an hour and then right. go back to your, whatever you were doing before? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, and that was a big question I had when I was doing this therapy. I mean, this therapy last week in Colorado, it was all about, of course, we create the atmosphere. There was there was four of us going through it, you know. We created the atmosphere. It was nice, calming, meditating atmosphere. And one of my first questions is like, okay, I feel great. I know how to take myself through my own therapy or own therapeutic modalities. I'm like, what happens when I get around that environment that people aren't supportive? Now what? If I know I have road rage, well, it's great when I'm not driving anywhere. <laughs> you know, but what happens when the guy besides me tries to run me off the road and then he flicks me off? That's not the environment that I want to be in. I have to make that conscious effort to choose what I want to do in that moment, you know? And when you find yourself in an abusive relationship in a domestic, you know, uh, violence situation, you have to make the choice of, do I want to live this way and continue to live this way? Or do I want to go after something that I'm not in this environment anymore? And I love what you said to begin with and which makes me think because I have a 13 year old daughter, you know, and though she lives in a very great home, you know, I can't control everything on the outside. And so having that talks with her about, look, this is not how a man should treat you. This is not, and not doing it when it happens, but doing it, listen, I'm gonna be that shining example for you of this is how a man should treat you when you go out. You don't need to be manipulated. If you're being manipulated, you need to run. You need to get out of it yeah. immediately, you know, and having that education. Let me ask you this, is what, what do you, how can you encourage people that are listening right now to come and seek out the help? I mean, you guys offer a lot of stuff. I know you're Atlanta based, but I mean, the nonprofit, I mean, extends across the world. You can coach people, you know, through Zoom, but how can they, how can they reach out to you? What, what can, what do you guys offer that people that are going through the same situation, whether it's for teens, whether it's for adults, whether it's, you know, older people that have been still living in this situation, how can you help them at this moment? So the first thing that I would say is that 
asking for help is probably going to be one of the scariest moments mm. of your life. You, mm. cause you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You may have that fear of rejection of, sorry, we're not taking clients right now, or, you know, I don't know how we don't have the resources to help you. And so all of those thoughts go through everyone's head the, the second that they're like, okay, I want to reach out for help. Yeah. The easiest way to maybe ease that fear would be, you know, maybe you don't have to reach out directly to us or another resource that is local to you, but reach out to a friend and say, I'm ready to get out of this situation. I'm ready to not be a victim anymore. I am ready to change my life, but I don't really know where to start. Yeah. And it might be easier to have somebody else kind of do that research for you and do that. And, it, you know, people may say that, oh, that's a crutch, that's a cop out, but you're doing it's the, like, it, it's your, yeah, it's, it's your first step. It's scary and you're going to need a support system. So, you know, I, I would say that if you're just stuck in that, I can't even reach out to, to a, uh, somebody who you don't know, right? A stranger, uh, any, anybody like that, reach out to a friend, family member, somebody that you know will support you through, you know, that, that transition. But on the flip side, if you don't care, if you're like, I'm ready to go, you know, I answer Facebook messages and emails and all of that stuff. So, you know, and, and even though we're Atlanta based, like you said, yes, I can, I can hop on a zoom call. I just, you know, uh, two days ago, um, got off a call with somebody who's in California dealing with a very abusive relationship with kids involved and all of that. And even though I can't, you know, give her the Georgia resources because she's in California, I can say, all right, well, here's this shelter that's local to you because they'll have all of these things that you can have. Um, you know, we've got people on our board that are divorce lawyers that are nationally known. So they have contacts in California of like, okay, here's one of the best divorce lawyers that, you know, they deal in high profile cases. So, and by high profile, I don't mean celebrities. I mean, like, high volatile, you know, yeah. sexual abuse, uh, you know, child molestation, all of those, they, that's what they deal with through divorces, not even just criminal trials, but just solely dealing with all of that in divorces. So, you know, we're able to give all of those resources to people across the country, even though we're based in Georgia. And even though the laws are different from state to state, they're pretty similar. And so I can still, you know, give that advice of, well, these are the people you need to contact. I don't necessarily know the exact laws, but this person will. So let me, you know, get you in contact with that person. So wow. that's one thing that I really pride our organization on is that we've created those um, contacts across the nation. And so it's been uh, really nice to be able to, even though, hey, I'm in Georgia, but we can, you know, find those resources for you wherever you're at. Yeah, absolutely. What is the best way for people to reach out to you to find help if they want to come through you or even talk or uh, your website uh, or even your podcast? What's uh, what's the best way? So, yeah, so the podcast is Surviving to Thriving and it's wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, it's my face on the, <laughs> there's a couple of them that are called Surviving to Thriving. Um, we're the only domestic violence one. Um, the other ones are like teen survival or marriage or uh, not marriage. Um, I don't know, but we're the only domestic violence one. And then uh, my email is heather.knight at twothriving.org, tothriving.org. Um, and then uh, we're twothrivingatl across all social media. Um, you can uh, DM me 
whatever works easiest for you, I'm always available. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Heather, thanks so much for being on the show. It's, you know, I, I hate that anybody becomes a victim or becomes, it has to go through trauma or pain or, you know, but between our two podcasts, finding purpose through pain, you know, and surviving to thriving, you know, we're both out there to help people. And um, Heather and and Zach are two amazing people that uh, I got to spend some very close, intimate time together in Costa Rica because we were all kind of living under the same roof. And, and it was just a really great, neat experience to be able to talk with you guys and get to know and understand your story. Um, both of you are very intellectually smart. Um, I need to hang around y'all more, let it rub off on me. <laughs> but I love what y'all are doing and being able to help people. So listeners, if you're out there and you have gone through or are going through or know somebody that's going through you know, domestic violence at any age, okay, Ch- child abuse, don't be afraid to reach out to Heather or even myself, um, even though I don't necessarily deal with domestic violence, I will definitely point you in the right direction and help you out the best that I can. I know Heather will too. They have amazing programs set up in their area and, and across the U.S. to be able to help people. So don't hesitate to reach out to her. Go listen to her podcast, Surviving to Thriving, Give her a um, a review. Leave a um, leave a review. Leave a rating um, because that does help people listen to us. Help us find or be found on uh, on different podcast platforms because there are a lot of people out there. Um, but of course, everybody wants to get their message um, heard. So, but don't be afraid to reach out to Heather and um, Heather again. Thank you so much, and I greatly appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to finding true freedom and breakthrough.